0: The book, chapters 1 through 3, take up not so much theology, at least directly and obviously, but more uh, talking about Paul's relationship with the church uh, as well as addressing uh, the his critics uh, and criticisms that might be brought to bear against him. And then actually he does, in the, in the final part of the book, chapters 4 and 5, uh, move into some uh, more practical and applic- applicatory Teaching. So let's look at First Thessalonians chapter four, verses one through twelve. Hear the word of God. Finally, then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God, uh, and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification And to work with your hands, as we instructed you, so that you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Now let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray now as we study it that you would give us the assistance of your Holy Spirit who inspired and has preserved these words for us to the present day. Father, in light of the hour of the day, give us clear minds and sharp minds uh, to be alert, to study your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, we come to chapters 4 and 5 where Paul addresses the the, the present Thessalonian church, uh, addresses what's going on in it and to um, speak to some practical matters pertaining to the church. And verses 1 through 3 first part of verse 3, set the theme. Uh, Finally, you might want to observe that Paul, having said finally, continues on for another two chapters. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to live and to please God, just as you are doing, you do so more and more. Now, we've already seen where Paul writing to this church takes a very warmly personal uh view of them back all the way to chapter one we give thanks to god always for you constantly mentioning you in our prayers remembering for example your work of faith labor and love steadfastness of of faith uh, how their faith has gone out uh how they don't need anyone to talk about them people have heard about them Uh, people know what god has done in their midst um we read of their generosity, uh, as Paul makes reference uh, here, uh, to the brothers throughout Macedonia. And so a very warm letter, commending them, not polemic like Galatians, uh, and not really heavily doctrinal like Romans, but much more of a personal letter to encourage them. However, uh, he does say here, uh, basically saying, keep on doing what you're doing, how you're living, to please God just as you are doing, but that you do so more and more. Uh, for you know, verse 2, what instruction we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And so essentially he's not really rebuking them. He's just saying keep keep doing what you're doing. You're doing it well. Uh, just keep doing it and see that you grow in it more and more. Uh, verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Um. If you ever struggle with what God's will is for your life in various ways, there there are obviously certain times in our lives there are specific questions. What do you want me to do, Lord? Uh, Well, we know for certain that one thing that God wills for our life is our sanctification. I think sometimes we're far less concerned about that than we are if we should take a job offer or, you know, as young people, uh, what what career we should follow, who we should marry, where we should go to school. Uh, I think we tend to invert God's priority. God is far more concerned that you are Christ-like than he is that you go to this school or that school uh, or follow this career path or that. This is the will of God, your sanctification. And it's worth remembering that it is not God's will for us to live a life of ease and comfort, because ease and comfort, nice as they are, are not the best environment for sanctification. It's the crises, it's the trials, it's the afflictions, it's pain that puts us on our knees, that that really chips away the sin in our lives, it humbles us and makes us more like Christ. It's painful, yes, but it is effective. This is the will of God, your sanctification. And he writes that to them as people who apparently are sanctified and being sanctified. And Paul encourages them that they should live to please God. They're doing it, do it more and more. However... Paul doesn't leave it at that. He goes into some specifics uh, about what their sanctification should look like. Uh, Three particularly that we want to just uh, group under three headings. We want to group them under as we think about them tonight. And the first one, and the one that he writes most extensively on, uh, this is the will of God, your sanctification, particularly uh, in the matter of sexual purity, that you abstain from, from sexual immorality. Now, you're probably familiar with um, the the immorality, the promiscuity of the Greek and Roman world. And uh, Paul was writing here from Corinth, a, a town that, as you know, is notorious for its wickedness. Uh, its name became basically synonymous uh, with sexual sin, deviance, all kinds of things. Uh, And actually Thessalonica, uh, being a trade town, port town, also shared something of that same reputation. So Paul was writing from a place quite uh, commonly associated with sexual sin to another place, and to Christians living in another place that uh, was somewhat notorious for the low-level of morality in the town. However, uh, in some ways it might be unfair to single out those towns because the fact is uh, sexual immorality was quite widespread and condoned throughout the Greco-Roman world. Um, In our day, we see much the same thing as we see, uh, to use Isaiah's terms, good being called evil, evil being called good in in the realm of sexual ethics and morality. Uh, I was rather struck. I was looking at a book this afternoon. It was John Piper's Jane on uh, Luther and Calvin. Uh, Piper, at his pastor's conference, gives a talk on various figures, biographical lecture. And they've been compiled into books. And uh, I was actually looking at one this afternoon just briefly. A part of it, I hadn't read the whole book. Okay, Jane had it, and I just happened to be glancing at it. In a reading about Calvin's ministry in Geneva... In Geneva, even when Calvin came in the first years of his ministry, had laws regarding uh, immorality, regulating it. For example, a man was allowed to have no more than one mistress. That was on the books. In the book, it in Calvin's Geneva. and In the early years of his ministry there, now things changed over time, but uh, immorality was quite uh, rampant under uh, libertinism, the supposed freedom under the gospel, Uh, but it was a law that a man should have no more than one mistress, thereby reigning in uh, immorality. Uh, There's a temptation and a tendency to look at the past sort of through rose-colored glasses and think, oh, in our day it's all just fallen through. Well, in Paul's day, the world was rampant with sexual sin. In Calvin's day, uh, in Edward's day, uh, Edward struggled and wrestled against sexual sin in his congregation among the young people. Uh, and in our day. So we dare not sit there and wring our hands and say ours is the worst time in which to live. Paul knew the very situation and worst that you and I live in. Where sexual sin is rampant, ubiquitous, accepted, even promoted. There's nothing new. Paul knows. I mean, Paul, we have a nothing on the day in which Paul lived. Or Calvin. Or Edwards. Our day, our time, our culture is not unique. It's the world. It's fallen. It's sinful. And so having said that in mind, you know we can't come back to the scriptures and say, well, you don't know how it is in our day. Granted, they didn't have the Internet, but they had it all around them nevertheless. Well, the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife, uh, as the context in which it was given, is one, as well as many other gifts of God, that have been twisted, corrupted, and perverted by the fall. And... Paul gives us a biblical, gives us a redeemed perspective on it. This is the will of God, your sanctification. What does that look like? Well, that you abstain from sexual immorality, even though the world around you indulges in it. Now, he goes on to elaborate what he means here. And unfortunately, verse 4 is a little bit difficult. That each one of you know how to control his own body, literally vessel, in holiness and honor. Now the ESV takes uh, one one interpretation and that is the the self-control interpretation that and and certainly a legitimate uh, translation here that each one of you know how to control his own body taking the vessel there to refer to one's body in holiness and in honor the other way to understand this is the vessel as one's uh, spouse or one's wife and there's Uh, Warrant for that in Scripture, for understanding the word as referring to a partner. For example, Paul talks about uh, in your prayers treating your wife as the weaker vessel, the same word that's used there. So there's scriptural warrant for understanding this as referring not to one's own body but to one's wife or one's spouse here, that each of you know how to possess or to have his own wife or husband, however it would apply, in holiness and honor. So one would refer to self control. The other would refer to uh, fidelity in marriage. Now, certainly either one uh, is applicable. Paul, I think, was referring to one or the other without trying to be too, too dogmatic. I think we just leave it and say, well, uh, certainly either one would apply. The need for self control in things sexual. Uh, or the need for, in the case of a husband or wife, fidelity within the marriage relationship. By contrast, verse 5, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. In other words, self-control is a possibility. As God's people, we certainly have the resources in Christ and in our accountability to one another to say no to sin. Uh, Titus 2, the grace of God has appeared that teaches us to say no to To ungodliness. And there's a line. We are not the world. We are not uh, still under the power of sin as the world is. And so, certainly, self control, certainly, fidelity within marriage uh, is not only the standard for Christians, but it is possible for Christians. Maybe not easy, but certainly possible. Unfortunately, all too many professing Christians do resemble, verse 5, the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God, who are still in darkness, still in ignorance. So that's the first thing that Paul says here, is self-control or faithfulness in the context of marriage. The second has to do with regard for others. Verse 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. Um, Whether we want to look at it in terms of fornication, sex before marriage, and thereby wronging that person's future wife or husband, or look at it in terms of adultery, violation of the marriage vows, and thereby wronging that person's actual wife, or husband, uh, that's a perspective we don't often hear. Of course, we're sinning against God, but we're sinning against other people. We're sinning against that person's future or present wife or husband. We are, uh, as Paul says, transgressing. We are wronging a brother in this matter, if it's a believer. But, and, and the warning, the Lord is the avenger, as we told you. He solemnly warned you. You see, we read earlier. Uh, or, or, or sang earlier of uh, the, the fact that as Christians we shouldn't fall asleep at the switch, that Satan is is after us, that there are people in the world who would be happy to to, to see us fall, and our own fallen nature, which is one of the beauties of that hymn we just sang, which dates from the late 1600s, um, how we say, yeah, the devil's after me, yeah, there are people out there who <clears throat> would love to see me fall, But our own hearts, our own fallen natures can do us in as well. Uh, But then the warning that God is the avenger. Uh, Paul says, we told you, we warned you about this. Now, regard for others. uh, Calling of God, verse 7. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. You know, as Christians, we need to learn certainly to say no to sin. But we've got to cultivate a hunger and desire for purity, for holiness, for godliness. And we need to cultivate that in our children and not just tell them that, uh, you know, that premarital sex is wrong. Uh, but to set before them a vision of something much better, something positively good, uh, the ideal of purity, the ideal of, of looking forward to being married to a husband or wife, not carrying baggage into that marriage from the past, uh, to set before them that vision of, of God's ideal to give them something to aspire to, not just something to say no to, but something far better to say yes to. And that's true for us as well. Uh, to put in our and cultivate in our own hearts uh, the desire for godliness in the way that we live one of the ways that you could do that and I would encourage you in this regard to go back and read um, Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 which is like a father warning his son of the, um, the evils of the strange woman uh, that's the word that's used there uh, the point being a foreign woman a woman he has no title to um, of the calamity of the distress, of the destruction, of the pain that comes from sexual sin, that comes from adultery. Uh, I remember back when I was working in youth ministry, we went through those passages uh, in youth group, uh, certainly had their attention, quite, uh, quite obviously they were, they, were, they were listening very carefully. Uh, but that's also something you don't hear. I mean, to, to to set before our children, set for ourselves, a positive view of God's plan for and his ideal for our sexuality. Uh, God's called us not to impurity, but to holiness. We need to remember that in a very impure age. Um, the last thing here, the command of God. Verse 8, therefore, whoever disregards this, this teaching, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. When we choose to violate the standards for sexual purity, we're not just going against you know what the preacher says or what our elders say or what our parents say. We're going against what God says. And that's something, too. We need to preach to ourselves. We need to teach to our children. That this is, this is a standard laid down, down by the, the creator of the universe, by the one who made us, by the one who invented sex to begin with, and who knows how it works Best, And so whether it's self-control or faithfulness in the context of marriage, uh, certainly regard for other people, not wanting to wrong other people, certainly a desire to fulfill the calling of God for us not to impurity but to holiness, and certainly the command of God uh, who gives this Holy Spirit to you to teach us that this is true, to show us that this is true and to help us live this out. Uh, Paul says that this first area of sanctification has to do with sexual purity. Uh, And I think he spends the most time on this because in his day, much as ours, this is a major battlefield for the Christian life. Uh, The casualties are many. And uh, while this is the standard, we thank God that there is grace with him, that there is forgiveness with him. But how much better to obey than to sacrifice you know how much better to be obedient to christ in this area than to have to go to the cross and ask for his forgiveness uh and yet like john says in first john if we do sin we have one who speaks to the father in our behalf and also you know we have a high priest who's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses jesus was fully human he certainly knew the temptation of lust sexual temptation just like any man ever did And so he is certainly not unsympathetic and certainly able to help us in our weakness. But this is an area that uh, obviously we, our children, uh, and the church need to learn and to return to and not be conformed to the world in this area. Uh, If this passage causes your conscience to sting, I simply remind you of God's grace in Christ, God's forgiveness in Christ. Uh, We don't want to make an idol out of sexual purity. It's not... An idol, but certainly it is a point of obedience to Christ. Um, One particular uh, front, strategic front, in this particular area of the battle is pornography, especially online pornography. Uh, A huge temptation for men because of our visual orientation, a huge problem among believing Christians, professing Christians. I know in the PCA, and i been talking to Roy Taylor, there's any number of PCA teaching elders who are casualties because of Internet pornography. Uh, we've always had pornography with us, but the ease of Internet pornography is absolutely terrifying. Uh, it seems to me there are two ways to combat it. One is, is um, technological, I guess, and the other is spiritual. Technologically, gentlemen, if you do not have some sort of filtering system on your computer at home, you are a fool. Because you know your heart, and you know uh, the temptations that are there. Uh, I would recommend be safe online. When we got our computer at home, especially when we got high-speed Internet, our children are online. uh, You need it, if not for yourself, and you do for yourself and your accountability, you need it for your children because you don't need them stumbling into all kinds of stuff that they don't need to get into. Uh, There are others, but be safe, uh, just the letter B-safe, uh, is uh, is very good. It, it works actually, I think, on their servers. Um, but anyway, I would highly recommend something like that, which is a technological wall or obstacle that is very helpful. But ultimately, there's you know also the spiritual front of what is going on in your heart. Um, you know, generally, pornography is is a lot like other addictions. It's not really so much about sex. It's not drink, drinking is not so much about uh, alcoholism. It's not so much about the taste of alcohol. It's often an idol. It's a way of dealing with life, dealing with anxiety, dealing with fear, dealing with regret, dealing with stress. Um, we need to look at our hearts and say, what are the idols there? What are we turning to to deal with life? Is something other than the Lord our rock and our refuge. For the alcoholic, it's the bottle. For the porn addict, it's pornography. For the glutton, it's food. You know, it can be anything. It can be work. It can be legitimate things as well as illicit things. Um, So certainly this is a, a huge front in this whole battle of sexual immorality, and one that for the sake of your wife, and I'm speaking to men because this is primarily but not exclusively a male problem, Uh, certainly not exclusively, but for the sake of your marriage, the sake of your children. uh, If you are involved or struggling with pornography or Internet pornography, um, that needs to be put to death. And believe me, if you will come and talk to me, I will help you with that. I will hold you accountable in that. I will encourage you in that uh, because you are absolutely not alone. It's a huge problem, and not just in the world, but in the church. Paul says, this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. Paul lived in a world polluted with sexual sin just like we do, and he knew what he was talking about here. But certainly that's part of our sanctification. But it's not the only part. And he goes on here to speak of some other things. Uh, Brotherly love, verses 9 and 10. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, but Paul is going to write to them anyway. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for well, that indeed is what you were doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. They've been taught by God, and I think by that he's kind of referring back to what he said in verse 9. God who gives this Holy Spirit to you. The Holy Spirit prompts us with compassion, prompts us toward love for one another, love for other believers. Uh, and he's referring here to those throughout Macedonia, even believers they don't know but share a common salvation, a common Savior with them. Uh, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. Again, the tone is you're doing well, just keep doing it and grow in it. Um, so certainly brotherly love. Uh, they're doing it, but a reminder never hurts. And that's true for us, too. Uh, as Christians, uh, we certainly are capable of stepping on, on each other's toes, of uh, offending, perhaps hopefully unintentionally, uh, one another, taking something that somebody said the wrong way. Um, But like Paul says, part of our sanctification is is brotherly love, love in the bonds of Christ. And the third thing that he mentions here, part of sanctification, and this may seem mundane, but but Paul addresses it, and that is a decent propriety. I don't know how else to put it. Uh, It sums up several things that he mentions here. Verse 11, to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs. You know, Paul uh, wrote to Timothy, warning him about those who are busybodies, those who are prying into the affairs of others. Um, and there is a line between uh, shepherding each other, holding each other accountable, and, and just being meddlesome and busybodies. To work, uh, and then to work with your hands, as we instructed you. Now, this seems to be something of a, of a problem in the Thessalonian church. I don't know, in light of what he goes on to write, and we'll look at, Lord willing, next time. If um, if they seem to be waiting for Jesus to return and quitting their jobs or, or relying on the brotherly love of others a little too much, but in Second Thessalonians three, verse ten, Paul says, "For even when we were with you, we would give you this command." This is Second Thessalonians three, verse ten. We would give you this command: if anyone's not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So apparently they didn't really heed it when he wrote it in the first letter. And maybe not many, but there were some who were not willing to work. Paul says they won't work, let them not eat. Uh, they're not busy, they're busy bodies. So uh, well, here was his first warning, that was his second Warning. To work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may live properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And so, part of sanctification is a decent propriety in terms of, as he puts here, simply to live quietly, minding your own affairs, uh, doing the work that God has given you to do in order to provide for yourself, provide for your family, and able to, to help supply the needs of others who are in need. Well, there's much more that pertains to sanctification, but as Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, these were three areas that he covered. Sanctification certainly includes sexual purity in an impure age, uh, brotherly love in an age of harsh brusqueness and lack of concern for one another, and decent propriety uh, when people were more inclined simply to concern themselves with the affairs of others. If Paul thought that important for the church in Thessalonica to know and to practice, and certainly uh, we could do no better than to heed Paul's words as recorded in Scripture for us as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your word. We thank you that it is relevant uh, in any age. And we thank you, Father, for this portion that we've looked at tonight. Lord, we live in an age that flaunts immorality. Uh, We pray for your grace uh, to live as godly people, to live uh, in a way that pleases you in our lives, uh, to exercise self-control in our marriages, to be faithful. Uh, Father, to honor you, to glorify you with our bodies, knowing that we've been bought at the price of nothing less than the blood of Christ and belong to him. Father, help us uh, also to show love toward one another. Help us to live lives that are characterized by Uh, a decent propriety, uh, soberness in tone that glorifies you and honors you and bears a faithful witness to the world. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.